Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible study classes. Whether you are looking for a place to start or want something more in-depth, there are plenty of options and times to choose from. Head to our website at www.preceptministries.ca to find a workshop or a class that is a good fit for you. We want you to have the tools to know God deeply and live differently. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay up to date on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries in Canada. If you would like to study along with the podcast on your own, you can go to our website and purchase the new inductive study series book called God's Blueprint for Bible Prophecy. Or if you're looking for a more in-depth study, you can grab one of our Precept Upon Precept workbooks for Daniel Part 1. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of Daniel. This podcast is a recorded sermon series given by National Director Mark Sheldrake to a local church. Well, it's good to be back with you. This week we're we're diving back into the book of Daniel And I want to set us up before we move into Daniel chapter 3 with some review. All right, I want to review where we are uh, in this um, story and life of Daniel, but also I want to look at, in just a moment, all of the characteristics of aliens that we have covered so far in the first few weeks. So where we are in the book of Daniel, 605 B.C., Daniel Uh, and his buddies taken back in the first siege of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar has these men back in Babylon, and he is training them up and having them really be Babylonian brainwashed into the life of Babylon. And so we already saw in Daniel chapter chapter 1, verse 8, Uh, But Daniel made up his mind, which we know is the basis of this whole sermon series on resolve, to stand firm and make the decision before uh, any circumstance comes on that we will be people who will live out the truth of God's word, but also glorify God in the lives that we live. We, we looked at all of these characteristics of aliens, and this I'm going to put it up on the screen. If you've not written out these characteristics, get your cell phone out and take a picture of them all now, because uh, this is where we've been so far. First, uh, we saw in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that aliens live in the world, but they are not of the world. We saw in John chapter 3, verse 3, that aliens are not born but they are born again. We saw in 1 Peter, uh, on our first week, chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, that aliens look to the future. Uh, We also saw that aliens, they do strange things. They believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This This is strange to the world, but very clear to us. We also saw that aliens are in constant training. That aliens do not conform to the world. And then in Daniel chapter 2, 
which was the last time we met together, we saw that aliens respond with discretion and discernment, which we will call wisdom uh, in decision-making. Aliens also pray seeking God's leadership. Aliens have a direct communication with God, and aliens do not elevate themselves above God. So that's where we've come through into the, uh, this week's message. And this week's message, uh, the title is simply this. We need to resolve to maintain our integrity. All right, so we need to resolve to maintain our integrity. And we are going to see this in Daniel chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 30. All right, so if you have your Bible, you want to be there. Now, here, here's the thing, folks. Ready? You've been hearing this story since you were young, if you have attended school, Sunday school since you were a child. You have heard about the furnace, the fiery furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been put in for the purpose of their lives. All right, so we're going to look at this from the point of uh, resolve to maintain our integrity. So we're going we're gonna to take this and I'm going to define for you right now what it means to be a person of integrity according to the biblical truth. All right, so integrity, that word integrity uh, means soundness of character and an adherence to moral principles. All right, so if you were to look up integrity in a Bible dictionary, you would see it as a soundness of character and an adherence to moral principle. Let me give you the basic definition that we will all best be able to understand of the word integrity. All right, it's my inward beliefs match my outward actions. All right, so what I believe inside in the heart of hearts about something or, say, our faith, it's going to match my outward appearance. In this day and age, it's hard to find people of integrity, that what they feel inside matches their outside. I can't help but pause and think before we look at these men at some of the Christian leaders that we have in our world today that we were elevating up onto a platform and then we found out that their inward and their outward didn't match. Um, I don't need to name names of these people, but, but we see more and more of that, especially in large, large churches, even throughout the United States and in Canada. There are people who, who are, we're looking at as men of integrity, but their inward and their outward doesn't match. But today, we're going to see uh, very clearly in Daniel chapter 3, uh, men of integrity. All right, so let's, let's pick this up, and we're not even going to get very far in here before we have to stop and, and do a, a, a slight bit more of review. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. All right, so just, just to think about where this goes. Okay, so some people, if you have 
dive into commentaries and you've looked at this and you thought, oh, I'm going to get ahead of this and I'm going to look at what commentaries say. Some commentaries put Daniel chapter 3 20 years after Daniel chapter 2. Those that put it 20 years after chapter 2, in in my mind and in my purpose in my study, I think that's too far. It's too far apart from what happens in Daniel chapter 2. Uh, there are other scholars who believe that this actually, they butt up against each other, and it is a lot closer in time-wise than 20 years apart. Needless to say, what we have here is we have the very fact that in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he had a vision. We looked at this already. He dreamed of a statue, and those stat- that statue matched four kingdoms. And then beside the statue, there was this stone, and the stone rolled, and it knocked out the feet of the statue, and all of the kingdoms that were matching crumbled. And we realized in the last time we met that that stone is the kingdom of God. It's the only kingdom that's going to stand, and it's going to stand forever. But you see, what did Nebuchadnezzar get out of that interpretation? You see, he did not hear everything in that interpretation. What he heard was, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And we can see right here in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, even though you see at the end of chapter 2, you hear things like where Nebuchadnezzar says, surely your God is the God of gods and a Lord of kings and revealers of mysteries since you've been able to reveal the mystery in verse 47, that Nebuchadnezzar really does not recognize God as his God, but one God and Daniel's God. And you see in chapter 3, verse 1, we see the great arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar. The arrogance that in all of what he saw in that statue, in that dream, in that interpretation, he heard, I'm the head of gold, and therefore I am building a statue of myself out of gold, and it is going to be huge, and then we'll find out what happens next. But you see, Nebuchadnezzar, what did he hear? He heard, hey, you are the head of gold. You're at the top. You are like God. No, that's not what Daniel said, but that's what Nebuchadnezzar heard. Verse 2 says, Nebuchadnezzar, he sent, uh, the king sent word to assemble uh, the satraps, the, pre- the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Now, this is very interesting, okay? So chapter 2, or verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar is bringing all of these people, all of these rulers and leaders to come and dedicate this statue to Nebuchadnezzar. Why is this significant? Why is this important? Uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 49 Daniel made a request of the king that he appoint Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was in the king's court. Nebuchadnezzar made Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego leadership. And so when Nebuchadnezzar pulls all of them together to make dedication of this statue, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a part of this group of people that are coming to dedicate the statue. All of the rulers, all of all the provinces, everybody's there to participate. 
Verse C, it says, then the, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had. Uh, just when I think of verse 3, and we're not going to uh, spend too much time here, I can't help but think of uh, our trips for, to Israel. And I've visited Dan in the northern part of um, Israel. And at Dan, you'll know from the Old Testament that there were altars set up at Bethel and Dan. And they were large calves that were to be worshipped because they did not want the people to go to the southern kingdom to worship at the temple because they were afraid that these Israelites would not come back. And so uh, you can only picture, and some scholars describe that it was much like this calf, that it was on an elevated position, that wherever you were in the province of Babylon, you could see this calf and know that when, when something was happening, when Nebuchadnezzar and the music played, that you would bow and worship this. It also reminds me of waking up in Jerusalem and hearing the call to prayer of the Muslim prayer that over all the loudspeakers at three or four times a day, you hear the music of the people being called to prayer. And this is what's happening in, in Babylon. They're, they're called here. And listen to what he says in verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed. Now Nebuchadnezzar is putting a decree out. And he's saying, to you the command is given. O people, nations, and men of every language. That the moment you hear the sound... Of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psalter, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Uh, simply put, when the music plays, get on your knees and worship Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 6, uh, but whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psalter, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right, so you hear it? What happened? Okay, the statue was built. The music played. Everybody bowed. Everybody worshiped. Wait, hold on. Did everybody. Verse 8. For this reason, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward, and they brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psalter, and bagpipe, all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the God, uh, the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have disregarded you, 
they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. All right, so what we have here is we probably have, you know, it's not clear, but most likely Nebuchadnezzar's in his palace. He's, he's doing his royal things, and what ha- the, the music plays and all over the system, and, and the people bow, and the Chaldeans, they start to look around, and they're, they're keeping an eye on who, who might be bowing, who's not bowing. You know, they've got their notebook out. They're ready to write names of those who are not looking. And what do you see? You see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They do not bow to the music. How do they stand out? How do they stand out? They're the only ones standing. And so just like Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind. Daniel resolved to not defile himself. In the same point here, this is the second time we see where these men have decided and resolved to not fall to the culture around them. They have decided not to worship the king. Why? Because they only worship their God. Uh, They resolved to maintain their integrity in the midst of the culture. Uh, Turn with me to to Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 to 5, so you can see, again, the basis. If you remember, we looked at a few weeks ago, that the law was, was found in the temple and read, and Daniel's parents and were a part of this great revival of Josiah. And so here we see that, again, they remember and they know the law. In Exodus chapter 20, verses uh, 3 to 5, we're going to see uh, something vital as a part of why these men would not bow to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Verse 3. Simply this, you shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am jealous. God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Here, here's the reality that comes out of this. It's a character of God, that God is a jealous God, and God only wants the worship for himself. He only wants the glory for himself. He doesn't want to share his glory with anybody else, and he doesn't want any of his people bowing to anything in worship other than him. And what's absolutely amazing is as all of these people bow, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what do they know? They know the law of God. And because they know the law of God, they are not going to bow and worship other idols. Uh, This causes us to pause and jump out of the book of Daniel for a minute. And it causes us to think about the things that we might bow to in our world the idols that we have, that we are bowing and giving worship to, that we are allowing to steal the glory away from God. Uh, Here, let me give you a couple, all right? Money, power, wealth, position in job, position in social status, all of these things 
Sadly, even a hockey team can become an idol over all of that comes to be given glory to God. My heart breaks this morning, but I know, I thought to myself as I was driving here, I'm so thankful for the Toronto Maple Leafs because they've taught me how to deal with disappointment in my life. But the reality is that the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Montreal Canadiens, none of them deserve more worship or any worship incomparable to what we give to God. There should be no idols before God. And when Nebuchadnezzar, he puts this proclaim out that you must bow when the music plays, these men do not bow. Why? Because their allegiance is to God. Because they resolve to be, to be men of integrity. You see, their inward heart is that that pursues after God. They only want to give their worship to God, and their outward action is that of to stand while everybody else bows. The interesting thing is, you know, as we come into this world and we have this culture putting all of this pressure on us to, to bow to the culture, to bow to the world, some of us might be saying within our own hearts, are you ready? Well, I could still bow, but I know in my heart that I still worship God. It doesn't work that way. It absolutely does not work in which your actions of bowing to the culture or bowing to the world and being able to maintain a heart that is after God. The Bible is clear and tells us that you cannot serve two masters. Even in the act of bowing under the pressure of the culture, you are showing your true heart. We must resolve to be people of integrity. And, and here, here, here's the hard part, okay? If you've got a pen, you want to write this down because this, is, this might be the most profound thing that is said all day, but it comes directly from the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? It's this. Resolving to maintain your integrity in the midst of our culture will bring consequences. It is as simple as that. If we want to stand for our faith, we will face consequences. Uh, I can think right off the top of my head, I don't even have to think that far of people in your own church who have stood and family members have stood for the integrity of what they believe inside and took that action on the outside and made that stand and faced consequences in the world of social media to the point where they did not fall to the cancel culture, but the cancel culture sure tried to take them out. You see, the inward belief of this is what I believe God lays out for me and God lays out as the biblical truth for marriage, therefore I won't support or allow this to happen because this is not biblical marriage. What happens to the culture? The culture presses in and presses in, but you stand with integrity because your life is based on biblical truth and because you stand on big biblical truth, you do not let the outward pressures come, so you stand with integrity. 
And I'm telling you, that wonderful couple stood with integrity through it all. They did not bow to the pressures that were there. But it brings about consequences. Consequences come. Look at verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? It's a little conversation happening there. No, this can't be true. You guys are uh, dedicated people in my service. What do you mean you're not, you're not bowing? Essentially, he's not really asking them more than the very fact of, why aren't you bowing to me? Verse 15. Now, if you're ready, at the moment, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psalter, and the babka the bagpipe, all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made very well. But if you do not worship, you'll be immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Just, just to think about this for a moment, just to think about the situation that's here. These men are now in the palace They are away from the larger group of people and they are going to play the music again and they're going to give these men the opportunity in front of Nebuchadnezzar in just this small group of people the choice to be able to bow before these gods and bow before the statue and they can do it. They can do it in the quiet of themselves. We don't have to tell everybody what's going on. We could just do it. No, this is what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, And Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set before us. Uh, I just love this interaction back and forth between Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because it starts in verse 17 in the New American Standard, hopefully in the ESV as well. They say, if it be so. Uh, They're not in this position right now fully knowing whether God is going to rescue them from the furnace. But these people are so committed in being people of integrity, people who have a heart after God, that the fact is they are ready to die for their faith. They are willing to die before they will worship other gods. This this really is the conundrum for, for you and I, right? 
Like the, the saying is, when, when the rubber hits the road. I can't help but think, because we in Canada, we've never really fully experienced what it's like to be persecuted on, on a level like those of other parts of the world, like in, in China or Russia or, or some of those other parts of uh, the greater Eurasia where you can face death for your faith when you're asked for the very fact that whether you believe in God and you have the choice to either say yes or bow and say, no, I don't, to save your life. I cannot help but think back to the days of when I was leading youth ministry and, and when the Columbine uh, shootings in the U.S. happened. That as these men were walking through the schools, they were going one by one to all the people in the library and they were asking them, do you believe in Jesus? And as they were asking, do you believe in Jesus? If they said yes, they shot them in the head and killed them on the spot. You see, it could have been that simple for some, one of these people to just to say no and their life would have been spared. But there was one girl named Kristen Smith and what she said was that she said, yes, I believe in Jesus. And a moment later, she was with Jesus. That's what these men are doing right here. They didn't know the outcome. They didn't know whether God was going to rescue them, but they were willing to die for their faith. Their faith was so strong that they knew whether God rescued them or God did not rescue them, that they would be with the Lord. They resolved in that moment to be men of integrity. What we believe on the inside matches what we are doing on the outside. We don't need to talk about this anymore. We will not worship your gods. Verse 19 Uh, This doesn't go over well with Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember Nebuchadnezzar and his character way back in chapter 2, he was the guy who was willing to rip arms and legs off if you couldn't um, uh, interpret or tell him the dream. Well, this time he is so angry, uh, his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Don't you just love the detail of this. We'll see later in uh, Daniel chapter 5 that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, that his hips went slack. Like this talks about the change, the change in demeanor from Nebuchadnezzar. And it says his face was altered. Maybe, maybe it went like cartoon character, bright red at the fact that he was so angry that these men would not bow that he answered and he said, Get that furnace and make it seven times hotter than it normally is. And then he commanded valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and order them to be cast into the furnace of blazing fire. Uh, I can't imagine whether Nebuchadnezzar would have uh, been more angry because these were people in high position of leadership, but he is so angry at them that he is, he is turning up the heat. Uh, verse 21, these men were tied up in their trousers and their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and they were cast into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire. For this reason, 
because the king's command was urgent. The furnace had been made extremely hot. The flame of the fire slew the men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How hot was it? Have you ever stood real close to a fire and you're like, oh my gosh, my eyebrows are coming off. It's so hot. No, this is so hot. It kills the men when they get close. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire, and they were still tied up. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste and said to his officials, was it not three that we cast into the midst of the fire? And they replied, king, certainly it was. He said, look, I see four men loosed, walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the sons of God. You see what's happening here? They go in tied up. They go in uh, fully clothed. The men bringing them to it, they can't even get close enough because the heat is so much that they die. Yet these men, they fall in. And Nebuchadnezzar, the word haste, I love it. It's, It's get up quick. It's like moving like you've never moved before. And he says, wait a second, there's not three in there, there's four in there, and they're walking around, and they're not burning up. Now, you might ask yourself, uh, good Bible study students, well, who's the four? Uh, The one who is like the sons of the gods. Well, many scholars believe that the third, all right, are you ready? Hey, get your pen out again. You can write this down in the margin. All right, they believe that this is a Christophany. All right, that this fourth person in the furnace is Jesus Christ himself in the body of a man. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. Jesus is in the midst of the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are completely protected by the fire. As we come to the end of these, uh, this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to give you uh, three promises that we can get through uh, the book of Daniel. But here, it is just amazing that Nebuchadnezzar looks, four men, one is Jesus. They're walking around unbound, not touched by the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar, verse 26, came near to the door of the furnace. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. You servants of the Most High God and come here. Look at this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the kings, the high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair on their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had they even had the smell of fire upon them. Blowing my mind, people. 
I just started. I've uh, been talking to some, some guys in the church here, and I thought, you know what? It'd be so cool if I could figure out how to start uh, smoking some meat, right? So I see it on the Instagrams, like smoke meat Sunday or whatever, and I was like, I got to try this, you know? I got to get into this kind of thing. So I, I've tried it twice it's worked out really well, except for the very fact that last weekend, in, in my complete stupidity as a human being, I grabbed the thermometer with my bare hands to pull it out of the meat, and today I live with scars on my hands of where I touched a thermometer that was 180 degrees. That was hot. Not only that... I may have sat in the wrong position near the barbecue. I don't have a smoker yet. I'm using my barbecue for this because, you know, I don't want to invest in something that I'm not going to be very good at. So I sat in the wrong position at the barbecue, and all of a sudden, I come in the house, and all I smell is smoke. Uh, maybe you have felt the same way, that as you've sat around a campfire, that, you know, when you're, you're trying to get away from the smoke, you can't help but notice that your, your clothes smell like smoke. Um, these men were in a furnace that was seven times hotter than it normally is that was incinerating people and killing them as they were bringing them to the furnace. But they came out untouched, clothes weren't burnt, no burn marks on their fingers, no smell of smoke, because they were completely protected in that furnace because they were in the presence of Jesus Christ. It absolutely amazes me. Do you see what happens here? These men, they stood as men of integrity. They did not bow to the culture that was around them. And as the promises, as we've seen all the way through Daniel, that when you stand with the word of God, that when you stand with truth and you live with integrity and you live a life that glorifies and honors God, there are blessings that come with that. That is all throughout the Old Testament. That when you stand with God, you will be blessed. Uh, you want to find it in the New Testament, go to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessings come when we walk in the will of God. Look at how Nebuchadnezzar responds in verse 28. He says, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who put trust in him. Violating the king's command, they yielded up their bodies so as not to worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wait for it, this is the best, they're going to be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be reduced to rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Right here in the statements of Nebuchadnezzar, we are seeing true men of integrity. These men were put into the position where they would either have to bow and worship 
or die. And what do they choose? They choose the furnace. They choose to hold to the decrees that come from God's word that there will be no other idol before God because God is a jealous God and because they stood with the word of God, we see this decree. And what's amazing here is Nebuchadnezzar goes from this man with this fire-red face and anger and wanting to judge these people for making the decision that he says, I respect that. You are men of integrity. The word integrity is not there, but we're seeing the very fact that integrity in its definition is that the inward beliefs also match the outward action. He says, God sent an angel, delivered his servants, who these servants put their trust in him. In violating the king's command, they broke the law of the king. They yielded up their bodies as a sacrifice only to worship their God. Verse 30 says, Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. God continues to move these men up the corporate ladder, so to speak, of the Babylonian empire because they are men of integrity. All right, let me give you uh, three promises that come from this before we wrap up. All right, the first is that when we resolve to be men of integrity, that uh, there is the promise of persecution for those who choose to resolve. So the first promise is that of persecution for choosing to resolve. So let's go and look at the New Testament because we always want to bring this back to the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. So when we stand with the word of God, when we stand in truth, when we resolve to be living lives that glorify him, persecution will come. Chapter 4, verse 12, 1 Peter, be, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange things were happening to you. Peter simply says this, those of you who are living after Jesus Christ, when persecution comes, don't be surprised by it. Persecution for a Christian is like Christmas. It comes every year. You know that when you stand for truth, you are going to be persecuted. Be ready for it. Be aware. Look at Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 29. Philippians 1 29 tells us, um, Philippians uh, 1:29, wrong page, says, uh, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Uh, what has been granted to us? Suffering. Why? Because we believe in him. When we resolve to stand and be people with integrity and in the inside and the out, we are going to suffer. It's promised for us. All right, let's look at the, the second promise that comes out of this, and it is the promise of preservation. All right, so first, the promise of persecution. The second is 
the promise of preservation. Uh, Turn with me to Isaiah, and we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. And listen to the promise of God from the book of Isaiah. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Sound familiar? Sound anything like what we just saw in Daniel chapter 3? The promise that God will be with us and we walk through the fire when we are suffering, that God will protect us as we go through it. God will not forsake us. Let me give you uh, quickly, here's the secret, all right? You want to know what the secret is to preservation? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the secret to how to preserve uh, through the midst of the fiery furnace. Starting at verse 30, uh, right, the great uh, hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 says, by faith the walls of Jericho uh, fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say, for the time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms and performed acts of righteousness to obtain promises, uh, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, and made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies uh, to flight. Why did they do this? How do they do it? What is the secret? The secret is simply by their faith. You see, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their faith was so strong in God that whether God was going to rescue them or take them to death, that God would be present with them. The same is said for you and I. What are the promises we know? The promises that we know is when we believe on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that in that very moment that we believe, we receive eternal life. And that because we receive eternal life, that anything that happens to us in this world will not matter as long as we stand firm and hold fast to the teachings of Jesus Christ, that we don't bow to the world, that we don't walk away from our faith, that we choose to live a life that brings glory and honor to Jesus. We know this, that we will spend eternity in heaven and there is no greater reward than that. And so by our faith, we will be preserved. We will get through. Uh, Study the book of Revelation. Look at the the repeated theme that comes all the way through the book of Revelation. To he who overcomes. Persecution will come. There is a promise of preservation. And then finally, the last promise, the greatest promise of all that comes from the very last verse of Daniel chapter 3. You ready for it? It is the promise of promotion. All right, so let's look at uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and uh, verse 1 and then verse 
10 and 11. So 1 Peter chapter 1, or chapter 5, sorry, it says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witnesses of the sufferings of Christ and partakers also of the glory that is to be revealed. Look at verse 10 and 11. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish uh, you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Three promises that come from this. One, that when we stand and we resolve to be men of integrity, that we will face persecution for what we believe. The second is that God promises preservation for when we stand with him in truth and live a life that brings glory and honor to him. It's when our heart matches our inward truth and belief and what we stand on matches our outward actions that we will be preserved. It's by our faith in Jesus Christ that we are going to get through what we are going through in the midst of our culture right now. And then finally, there is the promise of promotion. You see, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they decided, when they resolved to not worship that statue, when they stood, and even when Nebuchadnezzar gave them a second opportunity, they said, we don't need to talk about this. We will resolve to not worship the God or the idol. You see, they glorified God in that moment. In the choice to stand for the truth of God's word, God stood beside them. When they walked through the fiery furnace, God stood beside them. And when they came out of the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar put a protection on them that if anybody were to touch them or come against them or their God, he would rip their arms and their legs off. And he would put their houses in a rubbish heap. He puts them in a position of power again, and then also he promotes them. The same is for us. This is the faith by which we live by. The call is for us as believers is to be people of integrity. That if in our heart of hearts we believe the truth of the gospel, then our outward actions will match what is going on within our hearts. And that when we make that stand in the midst of this cancel culture and this world that so desires to absorb us, when we stand out as different from the world, we are going to be faced persecution and be ready for it, find joy in it, as James says, and be prepared and understand the promises of God of preservation for us as we walk through that storm, knowing that this is not our home, this is not where we're going to spend eternity, but one day we will be present with Jesus Christ. This is what God wants from his people. He doesn't want to share glory with anyone else. And so the call for us is simply this. Be people of integrity. Whether you're in the workplace, whether you're in your home, wherever you are, make sure that your inward beliefs match your outward choices. Now think about where that can apply. It quite possibly could apply 
in, in the music we listen to, into the movies we watch, into the television programs, into the way we report our taxes before the government, in the way that we do our work in our workplaces. There are so many places in which we are to be able to stand in a position that shows that we are a part of God's team. That our actions should so prove that we have the light of Christ in us. My hope and prayer is that by looking at what is happening in verses 28 and 29 of Daniel chapter 3, in the way that these men are described as men of integrity, is that that would happen for me. That people would describe me in the same way. That they violated the things of this world and did not bow to the things of the world to stand for the truth of God and his word. Is that the prayer that you have for your life? That you would be a person of integrity. That you wouldn't just be a Sunday morning Christian. That you wouldn't be a person that presents everything in that perfect package on social media. That everything is all together and everything on the outside looks great. But on the inside, you're just living this life of sin. You see, that wraps us all the way back to these leaders that we have seen fallen in the world. These Christian leaders who stood on platforms like this and they proclaimed to you to be people who would live with integrity, that you would be people that would live a life that glorifies and honors God and yet deep within their heart, they were not living out the words that they were saying. And those are the most difficult people because they draw so many people to them. And then when they fall to sin, they take so many people down. I try to remind myself daily of that very fact. That if one leader falls, how many people fall with them? The responsibility for you and I as representatives of the kingdom of God is to let the inward change of our hearts be shown in our outward actions. Be people of integrity. Show yourself to be lovers of Jesus in your community and in your home and in your workplace. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the truth that comes from your word. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work in our lives right now in this very moment, even as we sit in our in our living rooms and we watch this, that we know that uh, you are living with inside of us because we are your temple. That, Father, uh, if we are individuals who, who are allowing uh, what we have in our hearts not to match our outward actions, that you would bring great conviction upon us right now. That, Father, we would be uh, great representatives of the kingdom of God in this world today. That though we profess with our mouths that we, we love you and we follow after you in faith, that as we see transformation in our heart, that it would not just be something inward we hold to ourselves, but it would show in our actions and the way we live our daily lives. 
For Father, the fact is that many, many people in this day and age will never ever see Jesus Christ face to face living and walking on this earth, but they can see Jesus in us. So allow us to be people who reflect Jesus wherever we go, that our words and our actions, they match up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check out our website at www.preceptministries.ca. And we want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts or another ministry of Precept Ministries, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life.